Brendan O'Connor on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by Timber Living Log Cabins. For your perfect workspace, living space or hideaway, timberliving.ie. It's second chances on the prospect of them and the value of them that we're going to be uh, talking to next because it is a new year, it's new beginnings. We're all trying to turn the page and take new chances or perhaps appreciate the chances that we have been given. And I have two incredible guests who for very, very different reasons were given um Incredible second chances in life. Aoife Cullinan and Paul Nonan, you're both very, very welcome. Hello, good morning. Good morning uh, to you both. Listen, um, Paul, let's start with you first. Um, You literally died and came back to life around this time last year. Tell us what happened. Yes, so on the 2nd of December 2022, I was in Newbridge Athletics Club. Um, We were doing some... um, some speed training on the track down there. There's about maybe 10 or 12 of us there that night. And I think we were doing 800s. Um, and on the second or third last lap of the track, um, I suffered a cardiac arrest and dropped. And um, and yeah, only for the for the very swift response of, of the people who were there that night. In terms of, of giving me CPR um, and using the defib, uh, I wouldn't be here today. There's an incredible name for the cardiac arrest yet. It's called the widow maker. But I'm looking at you <laughs> yeah. as a, the, the last person you would expect to happen. Did you have any sense of it when when it was happening? Did you just hit the grind or? Yeah, no, it was it was literally over in the blink of an eye. I didn't feel a thing. <clears throat> it was completely painless. Um, and I was only 52 at the time. I was pretty fit, pretty healthy. I had um, about four or five weeks previous had um, completed Dublin City Marathon. Uh, I'd looked after myself for years um, and it just, it was a kind of, it just came out of no place um, and it was over in an instant. To to help save your life, they, they placed you into an induced coma. When you came around, what were you, what were you thinking? What were you feeling? Yeah, well, I think, I think um, I was admitted to, so so maybe just, just first off to say that the guys in, in the, the running club that night and the, the community first responders in Newbridge did an amazing job uh, in terms of working on me until the paramedics arrived from the National Ambulance Service. And I was brought to, I was brought to um, NACE General Hospital um, and I was put, placed in, in an induced coma there. They were just trying to figure out what had happened. Um, and I think they initially thought I'd had a, taken a, uh, had had a drug overdose. Um, so they were asking my wife, what's he taken, what's he taken? Um, and I have zero interest in drugs or anything like that now. So and she knows that, and she so she was a little bit at a loss. So and I think that was probably just because it was that's what they see kind of arriving into the ED pretty regularly. So um, so I was placed in, in an induced coma um, while they ran tests, um, and um, I think for about thirty six hours um, I was there, and then they. They kind of narrowed the field a little bit in terms of what it might have been or could have been. Um, and on the Sunday morning, I figured it was probably a some sort of cardiac event. Uh, but they didn't have the facilities there to do an angiogram or angioplasty. So I was shipped to Blackrock later that evening um, with uh, with a suspected uh, heart attack um, and a hypoxic brain injury and pneumonia. Was the uh, hypoxic brain injury as a result of being clinically dead I know there's a difference between clinically and, and biologically but you were brought back to life is that where that injury occurred? Yeah so I, th- I think in fairness the guys down the club acted really quickly um, 
when I dropped, they they people got to me very very fast. They realised it was turning blue, um, and they, one of the girls, D, is a is a social worker. She had just um, she had just recertified for CPR. She knew exactly what was happening. She kind of ascertained there wasn't a, a nurse or a doctor there, so she took control of the situation. Um, so she got straight onto compressions, and then um, the, the the rest of the the, the people there that or, that night then organised the the defib um, and shocked my heart. Um, so, but I was probably dead for three or four minutes, um, and kind of a hypoxic brain injury would be would always be kind of expected in that kind of situation. When when you did come around, I mean, what you know, what are the first thoughts that come into your mind? Is it relief? Presumably, you're in pain. Yeah, well, I, I was just, I was, I was pretty well um, anaesthetized, um, so I, I wasn't feeling much of anything really. Um, and the, I came around in Nice and, and was gone again, and I really had no, I, I wasn't aware of where I was or what was happening. And in fact, and several times, I was probably the Monday or the, the, I think it was even the Tuesday, even be, before I came around and, and realised what was happening. Um, and when I woke up in the Tuesday, it was just before I went down for angioplasty in Black Rock, and my friend Gary was there, popped in to say hello, and he had a copy of... Um, Bono's autobiography as a, as a early Christmas gift for me um, and we chatted for a few minutes and then the nurses came up and took me down for the angioplasty so I really I wasn't really compass mentis for a day or two um, but by the Thursday I was kind of coming around and it was probably only when I was released then on the Saturday and got home and people started ringing that I got a sense of just what a kind of a, what a narrow miss the whole thing had been. Aoife, you had your, your challenges were to do with um, mental illness. Can you um, maybe just talk us through your own journey that that brought you ultimately to the point where you were admitted to um, to St Patrick's for support? Yeah, I can of course. Um, wow, I'm just blown away by Paul's story. That's quite miraculous that he's here. Only um, one in twenty people survived the Widowmaker. I think the stats oh, are. It's amazing, isn't it? I'm, I'm so glad that he's here. Thank you. Um, yeah, so for me it was very different. Um, very, uh, I saw some mental health challenges, but it probably began Derville um, when I knew I had a dependence on alcohol and uh, I was coming to the end of my late 20s and I had been struggling for a long time, really. Um, but what I realised was I did need to quit the alcohol. But I also thought that just by quitting alcohol that all my problems would go away. But it was actually only kind of the start of a long journey because it took me about three years to f- admit that, OK, maybe I was drinking, you know, that I had a dependence on alcohol for a reason. And in those three years, I just experienced so much anxiety, depression. But I also experienced a real um, kind of resistance within myself to admit that I was struggling, you know. And uh, it took me, um, I think, about from 2009, 2010 until 2012 to to just get really unwell, you know. And for me, I survived a suicide attempt. I was living with suicidal ideation during that time, but I was terrified that I would be called crazy, terrified of the stigma and the judgment. Um, And I suppose, I guess I was in really unfamiliar territory, but with the help of a really, really supportive GP, you know, she just said to me in 2012, you know, this has gone on long enough, you know, this is no way to live. And I remember when she said those words, you know, I just started crying and I was like, okay, 
you know, send me wherever you need to. Like, you know, I, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. But I just wish, you know, that I, I didn't have to get that bad, you know, because well, if it was... I, I was just thinking yeah. that, although the it was unfamiliar territory, the, the symptoms of anxiety, depression, whether it's dependency, um, will resonate with a lot of people um, listening this morning. If it, we, we know that trauma lies at the root of almost all mm. addictions and dependencies. What brought you to that place? You know, what brought you to that place of, of, of I suppose, ultimately of, of surrender and getting better? But um, do, do you know what it was that yeah. perhaps triggered all of that? I do. And actually, they're so true, you know, because we know with the work of Gabor Mate now and people like him um, that it is trauma. And for me, I guess when I stopped drinking the alcohol, I was experiencing a lot of flashbacks to abuse that I'd experienced when I was younger in my early years, very early years. And I just struggle to accept that and I was you know I suppose that trauma and then as it was emerging in my late 20s you know the flashbacks just became so bad and that's what was causing a lot of the anxiety and depression but I was afraid to talk about it I didn't know where I was going to go and I did at times you know maybe mention it to different people but you know, again, no one really knew what to do about it. And that's when my GP, I took, I suppose I just took the courageous step one day and she said, like, what's going on? You know, what is it that you're experiencing? Like, what what are you living through? And I told her and that was the start, really, of getting the support. And, and it's, you know, from a professional who who has seen this many times. And, and, she and was so like, often they, yeah. they, they, our, our GPs are the, the front line and the pivots that direct us towards that. Can you talk me even through what happens? You, so you, somebody finally makes you admit perhaps what you can't, which is that you need residential care. You need mm. that type of help and to put the stigma aside. What happens? Do you just go home and, and, and pack your bag? Like I, It might sound like <laughs> a scene stress question, but how do you actually... How do you get there? It's both a yeah. practical as well as an existential it, it, question, it is. And, I you know, suppose. It is. It's very interesting because I'd only previously had experience of going to, uh, it was a hospital for physical issues. So um, that day the GP said, I'm going to put in a referral. And uh, I went home and I remember thinking, I'll pack my bag, you know, maybe someone will come and get me. Is there an ambulance? You know, I just wasn't sure. And it actually is very different because the way they worked it is they put in the referral and then the team above in St. Pat's kind of, you know, examine what's coming through, you know, because of her referral, they want to assign you to the best, you know, uh, professionals for your case. So in my instance, I think I got like in a couple of days time after that, I got a notification to say that I would be going in in a couple of weeks. So they kind of give you time as well to prepare, um, which was really interesting for me because I was just uh, in those in that time. I just remember crying a lot and just really feeling supported and like, the battle is over, you know, I'm going to get help. And uh, I did pack a bag and I went in on a Sunday. And um, it's also a place where, you know, you're encouraged to rest a lot when you first go in. Um, I was running the whole time. I remember being awake at 7am and fully dressed. And the nurse was like, what are you doing? Like, you know, you're here to rest. You're not well. And I was like, OK, that's interesting. So, you know what? It was lovely. To did you have in. a TV like image of thinking that someone was going to come kind of and collect you? And yes. Bring you away? Like, I mean, obviously Literally. your perception of it must have been very different. Oh, very different. Like, I, I was probably thinking things like One Flew Over the Cuckoo Nest and all these awful shows. You know, I thought that there would be restraints. It was awful, the prejudices and stigmas that I had internalised. And it was nothing like that. You know, there was a lot of... I was on a women's board, a lot of supportive chats, cups of tea, sitting around in our everyday clothes. You know, we went, um, did a lot of arts and crafts, lots of meditation, um, just relaxation, you know. And I, I think, 
Oh, remember, so just the reassurance of knowing that you were sick, that exactly. you were just genuinely unwell. It exactly. wasn't. Exactly. Yeah. Can, can I bring just, I want to bring um, Paul back in. Um, how do you think you've changed uh, since the experience? You know, the, the brush with immortality is something we're all very conscious of, or maybe something we see depicted in, in films or whatever. But did it, did it change you? Like, I mean, what was happening to you, whatever about physically, but mentally after that experience? Um, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, on a lot of different levels, my life hasn't changed at all. I'm still living with my wife, Trish, and our kids, Emma and Bill and Rose. Uh, I'm still working in the RCSI University of Medicine and Health Sciences. I still go running uh, with the guy down in... Uh, what was your first run like after? Uh, well, it was quite a while after. Yeah. Um, so, But I, I kind of I arrived at, at an old place about two weeks um, after the event down to the club and just to thank everybody um, and there was people who weren't expecting it uh, so there was a kind of there was a gang that kind of hovered over by the defib machine again just Nervously. in the off chance something uh, kicked off and then come January I just went back down to the club and I started I was shuffling around the track and then I was walking and then I was striding and then I was jogging and then I was running now I can't run as far as I used to or as fast as I used to uh, but I had signed up for the Dublin City Marathon for the 2023 marathon um, and Did you do it? I did yeah yeah so with just but with on, I had asked the the cardiologist. Like, I was just about to say, was it with yeah, medical? No, that, I wasn't. Um, I, I wouldn't kind of just after everyone had looked, yeah. had gone, had worked so hard to take care of me. I, I, under the advice of the cardiologist, I said, "Would would it be okay if I if I walked the Dublin City Marathon?" Because I had bought the ticket before everything happened, and uh, and it kind of it felt like a real milestone in terms of getting better and getting back to myself. Um, so yeah, I kind of it took me six six hours seven minutes now, but I did it. Too. Does it change your interactions with your family and with your friends? Because obviously you you did have a hypoxic brain injury. So does that change your your day to day living or your day to day sense of living a lived life? Yeah, well, it was kind of before we'd had a couple of tough years through covid and all of the kids were at different difficult stages when everything kicked off or emma was doing the leaving cert bill was doing the junior cert rose in sixth class so you know kind of they'd had a couple of, they'd had a hard time for a couple of years kind of we did it was my parents had a tough time but as well uh, but when i woke up and kind of kind of went back home i kind of went from feeling that I needed to be this perfect kind of dad kind of character just to relaxing and kind of saying look I don't know how, how much longer I have left and that was a pretty near miss and I'm just going to just enjoy the time I have with my ahead? family. Do you plan yeah, ahead? I tend to live very much in the moment which is mm. difficult I think for the people around me when they're kind of saying well, look we might do X or Y or Z weekend after next and I'm kind of thinking look I'm only thinking I can only tomorrow. Th- yeah I'm just thinking about getting, getting everything I need to get done before I go to bed tonight kind of thing you know uh, so that's difficult but you know kind of um, I, f- I feel I feel really well. Um, I feel really positive. Um, I feel a lot of there's a lot of joy in my life, and, and my glass. I've always been a pretty positive person. My glass has gone from being kind of half full to to kind of full to overflowing. Um, and I sing in Newbridge Gospel Choir. That's a real gift, and but that's a, a great crew. And we get we've done some really exciting stuff this year. We sang with Dublin uh, Gospel Choir and Dublin Community Choir. 
and with Shane Filan in the Aviva uh, in September, that was that was amazing. Um, so I, I think, but but to be honest with you, I think it's it's the little things that are really really savours so of kind of walking down to the club maybe. During the summer, when there's a bit of daylight there, I've kind of said to to Emma, your producer, um, I will pretty much see every leaf and every tree on the way down and the way back. So your attention, yeah, yeah, yeah your I've attention ta- to I'd things is really drawn. It's yeah. not the same for for you, Aoife, because in in one sense, uh, Paul's life changes physically. At least having run the Dublin Marathon, you might argue are pretty quick, but. Um, Certainly the recovery for mental health is much more like a, a, a marathon. It can take um, longer. You had more than one spell, as I understand it, in St. Pat's, didn't you? Yeah, I did. For me, it took about two years um, of both inpatient and outpatient for my care plan. Um, so, yeah, so it was longer and it definitely requires, though I think something like as Paul was talking, I was shaking my head and smiling because it requires a lot of the same ingredients, like and that is community, um, connection to others. I totally live in the moment now. Like for the last 10 years, I just live in the moment. Um, I see the detail in everything. I really value human connection. Um, and just, again, you know, like the simple things like nature, the turn of the seasons. And I also have huge compassion now um, in my life, not just for myself, but for other people and just us as humans, you know, just getting on about our days. And yeah, it's it's it just made me smile listening to Paul because I can relate a lot. And I think being involved with community was a huge part of my recovery because it is difficult, you know, and it's nice to be among people who are also you know, connecting with each other and trying to lift each other up because it's so important. You know, life is challenging um, on all levels, but yet, you know, we get to make it special by the people that we have in our lives and living in the moment. I drive people crazy who try to make plans because I just don't. <laughs> I just live in the moment. <laughs> did, like Paul, did you make any sort of changes either to your your physical environment, you know, where you live or any other aspects of your environment to facilitate your recovery? Oh, yeah, I'd say actually I did a complete overhaul, you know, because I was working in financial sales um, before I uh, I had all this. So basically, you could say the first 30 years of my life, I feel um, life is very different now. You know, I didn't return to the corporate world. Um, I ended up, you know, making a lot of community connections, you know, like as well, like Paul getting involved in a choir, um, playing music, going to open mics. I just wanted to, obviously as well, quitting alcohol for me was such a big change. You know, I changed a lot of my, my, my social circles changed as well. I got involved in um, volunteering with the Simon community here in Cork. And I just, so I just felt like it was so important to be around um things with purpose because that really helped me to feel a value and uh, I think that's a really key thing if people are struggling with their mental health is you know ask yourself do you have a purpose you know and because if if we don't have a purpose I I, th- I know I felt really like what am I here for what am I existing for you know What was your um uh, your kind of never again moment you know because obviously as you said there was a, a bit of a pull a bit of a battle you went back yeah. into St Pat's what was the the that kind of surrender moment where you kind of went, okay. Yeah, that's actually a really good question. And I would say it was my family, um, my parents, you know, seeing my aunts, my my siblings, just seeing how much they were being put through, you know, and the fear in their eyes, like, will she make it? Won't she make it? And I could just see the love that they had for me. And I remember thinking, 
you know, God, I just have to do this, you know, like, just please give me the strength to say no more. You know, I'm not going to suffer anymore. And I think that was the biggest thing for me. And also seeing that I didn't deserve to suffer anymore, you know, that it was really accepting that it was not my fault, that there's no shame in struggling in life and ultimately that I just wanted to get well. And so my, my parents could have some peace, my siblings could have peace and my, my aunts and my cousins because people desperately wanted me to get well. And I hated to think, Derville, that I was just causing so much suffering through my own struggles, you know. But of course, that's what many people with mental health struggles uh, feel, isn't it? That's part yeah. of that uh, internal stigma. This may be a bit of a strange question to ask you both, but um, I'm quite American. But are you in any sense um, grateful for the experience? And I'll start with you, Paul, that you had. Because in a sense, essentially what you've both experienced was a near-death experience of, of a kind. Uh, yours perhaps quite literal, uh, Paul. But, you know, are you grateful for it? Yeah, yeah, uh, immensely so. Um, and even um, even on bad days, I'm just so happy to be alive and so appreciative of, of the work that people did in terms of keeping me alive. And, and, and just want to also call out the... the I, I kind of had a reasonably quick recovery, but that was a lot thanks to the to the folks in the cardiac rehab unit in NACE Hospital who run a programme there, and it was great to be involved in that. Um, and I'm just so, so happy to be here. It's so, so exciting to be here today in RTE. Um, and it, it really felt like a kind of a bit of a kind of a wake up call. And a, I think there'll always be a before and after. Um, and just to acknowledge Eva there, that's, that's really, really brave what she's done and what she went through. And, and just particularly when you hear kind of but someone maybe doing it like a kind of an open mic night. Um, okay. I mean, that's that's right. That's, you're, you're involved with first sport night, so you um, yeah, you, you you find your voice. In a very I did, <laughs> I did, and now I think there's no shutting me up. You know, because I've worked like Paul. I was exactly as Paul was saying it there. You know, I was nodding because I rang my father this morning on the way in, and he said, "Are you feeling okay about going in?" I was like, "I'm just grateful to be alive." <laughs> you know, and that's literally it. I every day I am grateful to be alive, and I'm grateful to be involved. Like I said, with community stuff, I'm grateful to have my voice. I know a lot of people don't make it. You know, I've lost my, you know, I've lost people myself through uh, suicide and just, you know, through life in general. And every day is a blessing. And uh, like I ended up going on then and I'm just after finishing my degree in counselling and psychotherapy. And I have so many plans. Thank you. I have so many plans now for 2024. I want to, you know, maybe just start working as a lived experienced educator and hopefully continue to lift that shame, you know, that people can internalise. And lots of people with questions coming in um, for um, you both. (laughs) Um, We could probably have you here for for a full hour, but uh, one, Aoife Mary, um, is just talking about how um, getting access to, um, you know, residential um, support for uh, mental health. She's saying, my experience is that for those without health insurance, the wait for a mental health referral um, can take years and the service provider it is dependent on location and waiting lists, you know, that lot. Yeah. I suppose the privilege sometimes of being able to access um, that support can make all the difference. It's so can and it's it breaks my heart, you know, it really does because I was on a, a list, I think it was in Cork and I remember by the time I was finished with St Pat's, 
Um, I think I got a call two years after that, you know, and I remember I was cross. I was like, this is not good enough. And to be honest, like Mary is right, you know, it's it's really unfair. Mm. And I think that's something that we need to work on. And that's the reason I went away and got the degree, because I want to make a difference. And I know there's many of us out there who do, because it's not good enough. You know, people deserve equal care. And Paul, you're not getting away with it. Angela <laughs> uh, has a question to ask you, because obviously your underlying fitness was undoubtedly one of the factors that helped you I, more likely than not with your recovery. But yeah. Angela has a question. She said to ask Paul um, uh, his views and what she says is the emerging evidence that running marathons has too severe an effect on the heart. Is that, uh, would you be worried about that? Yeah, no, it's a, re- it's a really fair point. And just to clarify, I didn't run the marathon this year. I walked it and, and jogged um, parts of it. But that that's a really fair point. Um, I think for me, the the, the, the really big thing, there's, there's four four legs to, to heart health. Obviously, there's the whole doing a bit of exercise, watching your diet, going to see your GP, knowing any kind of hereditary risk factors and also kind of kind of exercising responsibly, knowing what your your maximum BPM is, your maximum beats per minute. Uh, and exercising only at, at eighty percent of that, um, and and then if you're out running, really important maybe to avoid running on your own or try and run in built-up places where so if something does happen to you, that the, I, know, I know in the main street in Newbridge is about four or five defibs. So you know, kind of the importance of those in community settings. Exactly, exactly. Everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Can I ask you, Paul? Um, are you afraid of death now? I haven't had a. Yeah, brush with it. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I had spent a, a a lot of up until I did the marathon again this year. Every day I went out the front door and locked it behind me. I was kind of wondering, am I coming home this evening? Um, and and that was one of the reasons I wanted to to, to have another go at Dublin was just to see if I could get through it. Um, and since since I've done that, now I'm kind of, and it's probably not very rational, but now I'm kind of saying to myself, look. If you've done that, you're good. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm back in for an angiogram next week and I'm, I'm really hopeful the, the stents I got placed yeah. are still there and it's we kind of um, be getting back to business as usual, but just very, very mindful now of, uh, as that lady was saying there, in terms of exercising responsibly. Uh, I should say that if um, anyone has been affected by any of the issues raised in um, our conversation with Paul and Aoife, you'll find support at rte.ie helplines. Before I let you both go, uh, can um, I ask you, first of all, Aoife, what would you say to other people listening now who perhaps have had a similar journey, perhaps are at a, at a different stage. What would you say to them about the, the second chance that you've been given? Yeah, I would say please use your voice, you know, and I know it might be frustrating that services may seem unfair, but your GP is your starting point, you know, and it doesn't need to get as bad for you as it did for me, you know, that like you can by using your voice and finding the right person that will listen to you. There's also so many supports like online you know, chats. There's also um, the opportunity to ring call, you know, call lines and helplines and just, you know, it's possible. That's what I would say. And it doesn't have to be as bad. Don't leave it go, you know, because the reality is there's so many supports out there. And even if you feel like there's not, just just find one person who can listen to you, you know, and believe that you can get better. Yeah, because as you say, you suffered for four years before you mm. you eventually got to make that call for you. Um Paul, it's a, a different scenario, but um, 
for those who are maybe listening or perhaps even those who are recovering from a similar incident or even another illness, what what is your advice? Because we, sometimes we don't talk about the day after and what happens after, you know, a, a difficult health experience. You know, what is your advice for, for people listening? Yeah, well, just, just to echo what, what Aoife said there, um, she nailed it. Um, like, number one, the first protocol with any of these things, any concerns that you might have in, in terms of your heart health, go and see your GP. Um, and then after, in, in terms of recovering from an event like this, um, look, I, I know I'm kind of one of a very small minority of people who survive an event like that. Um, and I think just what Aoife was saying earlier on in terms of of really switching it up, getting involved in things in your local community um, and and talking and, and engaging with people. And it, it would have been very easy for me to, to to stay at home watching Netflix after all this happened and I could have taken as much time off work probably as I wanted. But you I, went back quite early, didn't you? Yeah, I went, back, I went back for an hour or two kind of a couple of days before Christmas uh, just to because of my head was still very, very fuzzy after the whole thing. And it really helped mm-hmm. me just in terms of connecting with the team there um, in RCSI. That really helped in terms of recovering cognitively. Um, and and I went back to work full-time after Christmas. Uh, so that really, really helped. And I, as I say, I got back down to the running club in January. I was back singing in Newbridge Gospel Choir come um, February. So so those things really, really helped in terms of my own recovery. Uh, but, but, you know, kind of bottom line, talk um let people know how you're feeling um and 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 let people tell you how they're feeling well, it is a wonderful life and it's been wonderful uh, speaking to you both. I was going to say my second chancers, but that doesn't sound <laughs> right. But my wonderful guests who have Thanks, enjoyed Jeremy. amazing Thanks, second yeah. chances well done, to Aoife well Cullinan and Paul Nolan. Thank you so well much. Done, We're going to take a quick break. Thanks a million. Brendan O'Connor on RTE Radio 1.